Heavenly Father, uh, this is your church. Uh, thank you, Lord, for using us uh, in this time and place uh, to make an impact in the kingdom. Lord, we know it's not about us. It's all about you uh, working through us, your, your hands and feet. And, and for that, we give you thanks. And I pray that you would focus us and our attention uh, today as we continue to learn and grow how you would have us be as a people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to be doing is this weekend, we're going to be wrapping up a sermon series on our values, uh, what we believe our church to be all about and and what we want to aspire to be. Um, And then next week, Pastor Brad is going to basically cast a vision uh, for what the next season in ministry might look like for us as a church body. Uh, He's going to give us a specific focus, Uh, not that that's going to be everything that we are all about, but it's definitely going to take uh, some of our energy uh, and resources to to meet a particular group of people's needs. Uh, And so I'm looking forward to what Pastor Brad has to say there. Uh, But for today, we're going to look at these value statements, these everyday words that we've landed on as a congregation uh, that we believe talks a little bit about who we are as a church body, or at the very least, what we want to be all about. And so at the very beginning of this um, series, I did a sermon on the value statement, Jesus and his word are what everyone needs for life and salvation. And then Pastor Brad ended up talking about the idea of how our whole family grows closer to Jesus here. And then last week, Pastor Kaiser, uh, we honor God with meaningful relationships and beautiful experiences. Okay, a good everyday sets of words uh, for us to focus on. Today uh, is this idea that we embrace a pioneer spirit. Okay. So I'm not going to ask you uh, to give me an answer out loud, but just to think through this just a little bit, when you think maybe a picture comes to your mind uh, or a set of characteristic or traits, when you hear the word pioneer, what comes to your mind? Okay. I don't need an answer out loud. Just what comes to your mind when you hear pioneer? Just give it some thought. And I'm going to share just kind of what popped into my mind. And I don't know if this is because I have a California upbringing or not. But my mind, uh, when I heard Pioneer, I went to the 1800s with the gold rush days, right? Covered wagons and people moving across the great plains of the United States in the hopes of striking it rich, right? Uh, And what was going on there? These are people, for whatever reason, were willing to give up everything that they had and make their way across the territory that they had never seen before uh, in the hopes of a preferred future, uh, a better life maybe, or maybe making uh, some income that they uh, were, were seeking after. Right? And here's one of the things that stands out. What role did fear play in the lives of these pioneers? For a lot of us, when we are afraid, um, we just shelter, right? Or or we stick to where we are, or we don't venture out because we don't know what the unknown is. But what the pioneer would do is they would lean into it. They didn't have the answers, but they had such a picture that overshadowed that fear that they were willing to put everything on the line and go for it. They were all in for their dream, right? Right? What about us a little closer to home, here in the Saginaw Valley, here in Frankenmuth? This is Heritage Weekend, right? So the summer of 1845, there was a pastor by the name of Wilhelm Ley that wanted to 
get the word of Jesus out to a group of people here in the United States, the Chippewa Indian, and he cast a vision in Bavaria, Germany. And there are 15 people that caught that vision. Hey, we can be in, a, in the business of making an eternal impact in people's lives that have yet to hear about Jesus. And, and they were all in. They sold out for this vision and for this dream of helping people realize a preferred future, a better life, maybe even eternal life. And so they loaded everything they had in, in, a, in a ship, and they made their way across some seas. Um, they weren't guaranteed success. They weren't guaranteed safety, right? Um, and here they were. And if you uh, go through this history that Pastor or Herman Zender wrote back in late 60s, early 70s, um, he doesn't romanticize what our brothers and sisters that came before us from Bavaria went through. I mean, they encountered a drunken sailboat um, captain that grounded the boat in like four days, right? They ended up on a railroad car. They got out this way uh, into the Saginaw Valley, and when they got here, there wasn't really a place for them to live, and so they all lived, 15 people lived in the same house for months. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, you don't even get along with your own family all the time. Can you imagine inviting somebody else's family? Ugh. Right? There was some infighting and there was some backbiting that was taking place. Uh, and some I didn't get along and I don't necessarily see this. Right, But eventually they were able to get through the weather and the, the winter and the spring and start to clear the land and, and build their own homes. Um, and they even encountered a handful that were at least open to what they wanted to teach. And there was a chief, I can't pronounce his name, it's Behamasaka, is basically what it is. Over in the sanctuary, we have a stained glass picture of Kremer uh, teaching uh, the Indians. And here's this chief, and he basically, with this open heart to what he's hearing about, says, teach my people the truth. Okay? And that's what they strive to do. But Zender lays it out. He doesn't mince any words. He basically says, look... For 1845 up to the 1850s, there was not a single Indian convert. What was going on? He says here that um, people coming over from Bavaria didn't necessarily understand the culture. The people, the Chippewa that they were trying to minister to, and dare I say Christianize and even Germanize, it wasn't for them, okay? These were nomads. They were, by nature, people that would just live off the land and they'd get up and leave and move. The Chippewa Indian were already on their way out when, in 1845, the families from Bavaria were coming this way. And so by 1850, they were already out and apparently not a single Indian convert uh, happened from their efforts. But Leahy says it this way, 25 years after the missionary work of, that's been taking place here in America, he goes, nothing went as we had hoped it would go, but all has gone in such a way that success and blessings attended our work. He's praising God for success. What? There wasn't a single convert. Now, this is where the sermon illustration comes in. I want you to look at your brothers and sisters here. Do you realize you are here because of the work that was done back in 1845 and, and long before that also, right? You're here because somebody taught the faith. Someone taught the faith to you. You've 
bought into it. You're, you're here because you believe in Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior, or maybe you're at least exploring the possibility if you're new to the faith, right? Someone taught the faith to you, and you're here. And you might be in a stage and place in your life where you have generations that are younger than you that you can teach the faith to also. Not just our heritage and who we are, but what Jesus is doing in your life and how he can move in the lives of the young, right? Or maybe you're so young uh, that you have no idea how Jesus is going to use you, but guess what? He's going to. He, he has a plan and a purpose for you, and you're here getting to learn about Jesus and how cool it is that I can look out here and I can see multi-generations of people longing to grow in their relationship with the Lord. Folks, we are in a new era for the church. We're in a new era I've had conversations, and some of the other pastors have had conversations with some of our older members here at St. Lawrence, and it's basically been something along the lines of this. When I was little, my mom and dad made sure my backside was in a pew, and we were at church every Sunday, right? And you ask them why? Well, it was just expected of us, and they did it. And whatever was said from the pulpit or here at the lectern uh, was accepted as truth, and it was never questioned, we are in a day and age where that does not happen the same anymore. The institutional church that enjoyed a, a heyday is not the same anymore. The church used to be the center of life, and now we literally have to drive to church, and life happens all around us, right? I mean, just look at it. We are in a pioneer age, in a post-church era, where what's set up here isn't necessarily accepted as truth by generations and people that are coming up under us, right? right? And we as a church have the opportunity to lean in. Do we, are we afraid of it? No, we lean in. We lean in. Jesus lays us out a, a plan, a way, a method, an approach to ministry that um, we're going to go into the scriptures here in terms of embracing this pioneer spirit uh, that God is calling us to do. So if you would, if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and go to, to Luke. And he, he does a couple of things here intentionally that I think as we embrace this pioneer spirit, um, we can do the same, okay? So in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, um, And these days he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Then next, the next movement that Jesus does is this. When, when day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them 12 men. And he lists all the men here, right? Simon and Peter, excuse me, Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon again, Judas, the son of James. Then he gets to Judas Iscariot. And then we see that God is laying out that these men weren't perfect. And yet God still chose to pour into them. These men weren't perfect. How do I know that? Right there in Luke 6, it says, Judas Iscariot, the one who became a traitor. God still built his church on people who weren't perfect or people who didn't understand who he was. Right? And he was willing to pour into them because he had the long game in mind. He came to seek and save the lost. Right? How does that help us out? Do we need to be perfect as a church? Absolutely not. And God's still going to pour into you and to me, and he's going to take us sinners, and he's going to empower us to do great things for him, right? And that's what he does for the church. And then later on, he makes this movement. He says, he came down then 
and stood on a level place with a great crowd and his disciples uh, and a great multitude. And then he began to minister and heal people that were all over from Judea and, and the countryside and the like. Right? Take a look at that. There's three different movements that God does, and I'm going to throw them up on the screen here for us. Okay. Maybe. Whoops. All right. There's an upward movement that we have, and it has to do with our relationship to the Lord. Jesus does not do a single thing in ministry. He doesn't make a step toward ministry until he goes to God in prayer. And we don't know what he prays about here. It doesn't tell us. But could it be, and I'm speculating here, could it be that God, Jesus, is asking his dad, who do you want me to pour into? Or could it be that Jesus is asking his dad, I'm getting set to do this earthly ministry, go before me. Regardless, he does not make a move until he prays to God first. And then in the very next moment, he starts to build his church. Right? So this relationship to God, it matters. And Jesus, over and over through the scriptures, say that we matter to God. All the way back to creation, where we are created in his image. Right? By chapter 5 in Genesis, we lose that because of sin, but those of us who are baptized, who believe in Jesus Christ because of what he's done on the cross, his person, his work, his resurrection, we are, have that image restored. And God wants us to be more than extraordinary people. He wants us to be extraordinary. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. And he calls us into that. And how do we know what that's like? Because we're connecting in our relationship with the Lord. And then Jesus makes this other move as he builds the church, right? Relationship to one another. Well, what does this look like for us, brothers and sisters? It means loving one another. It means doing life together. It means serving. It means holding each other accountable to the scriptures and God's word. That so that what is proclaimed here is true. It means bearing one another's burdens and, and meeting each other's needs. And, and we see that over and over again. Uh, the way the church comes together and supports one another through various ministries, right? Whether it's through our school or Stephen ministry or prayer ministry or the like, uh, we are doing some of that. And then there's another move that Jesus makes is he takes that church and he stands amongst the people. And he goes out and does a relationship to the world, right? He loves unbelievers. He shares the gospel. He serves the poor and the needy. And we hear in the scriptures how he starts to heal. And people long for that. So here's what I want you to do. Take a look at this model for ministry as we embrace a pioneer spirit and we lean into where God is already at work. And where are you strong? And where is God speaking to your heart today and asking you to maybe do a little bit more? Not that you're going to get it perfect. He's the perfect one that's taken away our sin, but where is he working in your life? Is it in our relationship with God? Is it in our relationship with one another, in our relationship to the world? Let me paint this this way, as you're thinking about where you fit in this model. And I'm going to illustrate a handful of churches. Okay, A church that is all about an upward relationship with God and an inward relationship with one another, but they neglect the outside world, is going to be dead in a handful of generations because they aren't moving beyond and they aren't in the business of Jesus' seeking and saving the lost. If all we are all about is worship and Bible study, we're missing the boat. If a church 
is all about an upward relationship to God and an outward relationship to the world, but it ignores the body of believers. People come here and they're not seen, they're not poured into. We're not gathering around word and sacrament and being strengthened and encouraged and in one another's life. We're not getting to see baptism and how God's at work. We're not hearing stories of what God's doing in people's lives. We're saying rather things like, yeah, I worship God in creation and I'm out here serving the world. I don't need the institution of the church at all. It's never been there for me. That's a dangerous place also. Or if a church is all about building up one another and going out into the world and it ignores its relationship with the Lord, it's motivated by things like random acts of kindness and social justice issues, which are important but as they live those out and try and meet those needs, there isn't a move to point others to Christ. And so people are being, having their needs met, but they're not getting a chance to hear about Jesus. You see, it, we need all three. As a church, we need all three. And when we began this study, I'm going to lay this out here. When we began this study, I had several questions that I wanted you to maybe take home and maybe you took a picture. I know of a handful of small groups that responded. One of those questions was, what would Jesus tell the church? And I got word back to what one of our groups had said. And basically what it said was, my church doesn't see me. My church doesn't see me. Wow. Folks, that's where we get to repent, right? That's where we get to say, Lord, we've messed up. If we have people coming here that they feel like they haven't been seen or ministered to, wow, that, we need to repent, right? And God's saying, hey, look, I'm glad you're here. I see you. I see you. I'm right here with you. I'm working with you. Here's another thing. Maybe you're uh, experiencing fear or, or whatever, God's saying, you know what? That's an invitation to lean into me. I have, I have you. I have you. And he's pointing you to the cross and the work that he did there for your life, your salvation. Why? Because he wants you to catch the vision. He wants you to be all in for him. He wants you to embrace who you are in Christ, not just a pioneer spirit, but the Holy Spirit that dwells right here that claims you as a son and daughter, right? And is working in your life. And using you, the church, we started off this worship service saying, we build your kingdom here. We are the hope. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. We get to go out to a world that doesn't know about Jesus and is increasingly that way. And are we afraid? Do we need to fear the world? Absolutely not. We love the world. Why? Because God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Church, my brothers and sisters, I get to look at you. We get to do life together. We get to share Jesus together. How cool that is. Are you going to be great at it? Maybe. Are you going to make some mistakes along the way? Probably. I know I have. But guess what? We serve a God who is perfect in every way and is going to use us in some mighty ways to make a difference to the kingdom. We are in a post-church era. Are we afraid? Heck no. No way. Because we have a God who has victory, his victory, our life and salvation in his hands. That's the vision that we're selling out for. All lives coming to knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and lives. 
in Christ Jesus. Amen. So give that some thought. Where's God in your life working? Church, where's he working in our lives? Amen.